Hey, John Lund here for my good friends at Modesto Toyota. Did you know for over 54 years, people have been driving from all over Northern California to Modesto Toyota? Why? Because of the great deals and a huge selection to choose from. Over 13 acres of new and used vehicles. And it's no secret the Modesto Toyota has a large selection of certified used Toyotas as well. The best new cars make the best certified used cars. Certified pre-owned Toyotas have a seven-year, 100,000-mile limited powertrain warranty and one-year roadside assistance. Modesto Toyota always has a tremendous selection of trucks, cars, and SUVs, all at great low prices. So... Whether you're looking for a new or certified pre-owned Toyota, my good friends at Modesto Toyota, Kevin and the whole crew, they have the one to fit your needs and your budget. It's absolutely worth the drive to Modesto Toyota. Go to ModestoToyota.com. Check them out online, ModestoToyota.com. Hi, this is Bob Costas. And when Willie Mays and John Shea asked me to write the foreword for this book, I was more than pleased to oblige. So here we go. 660 career home runs, 250 home run seasons, 12 gold gloves. A glance at Willie Mays's page on Baseball Reference reveals he led the league in one significant category or another 37 times. 37. And yet none of that tells the whole story. Not even close. Impressive as they are, mere numbers could never do Willie Mays full justice. Numbers are cold. They're instructive, but with few exceptions, not evocative. Awesome. Bob Costas did the uh, foreword for John Shea's great book, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. Of course, we had John on yesterday. It is awesome to be joined, especially in these uh, days, by the legendary Bob Costas. He joins us courtesy of the UMA guest line. Hi, Bob. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? Hi, Greg. Good. Hi, John. We're hanging in. We're hanging in, Bob. And let's just, John was just uh, praising you. We've had him on a couple of times since he wrote the book, and we all know what a great broadcaster you are. Uh, the quality of the writing and the forward for the book, and he was so impressed being able to observe your narration, and you wanted it to be detailed. So just talk about the passion you had for writing the forward, reading the forward, and uh, John's book co-authored, obviously, by the great Willie Howard Mays. Yeah, my first thought was, how are you going to do anything fresh and new about Willie Mays? A wonderful subject, but hasn't it been covered in impressive detail elsewhere? There have been biographies, uh, an autobiography with which he uh, cooperated and various things written, done about him, documentaries. And yet they did find a fresh way in. Even if you followed Willie throughout his career and think you knew just about everything about him, uh, there are fresh stories here, fresh insights. Um, it has a welcoming tone to it. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, you don't have to be a Willie Mays fan, but I guess the two are synonymous. If you know anything about baseball, you've got to be a Willie Mays fan. And we're talking to a San Francisco or Bay Area audience. This really is uh, a worthwhile read. And luckily for me, I've had a really good relationship with Willie for a very long time. Uh, consider him a friend. Uh, and when he and John asked me to do the forward, it was an honor to do it. Uh, I tried to do the best I could with it, and then for the audio book, they asked me to, to read it. So I'm glad to be a small part of something that, uh, that adds to what we know and appreciate about one of the most important figures in baseball history. Talking to the great uh, Bob Costas, Pop and Lund here on the Sports Leader. 
What we were wondering is, Bob, I can hardly get through a 30 or a 60-second spot without flubbing it up and restarting and so forth. <laughs> How long did it take you? Do, you? do you have to keep restarting this? How does that all work? The honest answer is, uh, outside of the pleasantries, when I went to the studio and said hello to the engineer and whatnot, I think it took about 20 minutes. Uh, I'm reading my own words, so I was familiar with them. I had written it you know, a few months before. Uh, and then they had me do a few retakes just for pacing or whatever it might have been. Or I might not have liked the inflection, so I said, let's go back and do that paragraph again. Maybe it took half an hour, but no more than that. All right, so the book is just fabulous. Your forward is great. Your read it in it is great. And the, the whole book. And I, John and I had a chance, Bob, to interview Willie uh, for his birthday many years ago in studio. And I remember the interview you did with Willie in, in Studio 42 yeah. a few years ago. He's tough to interview. <laughs> You'll jump in and even challenge the great Bob Costas. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about was Chapter 8, Honor Your Peers, the story of Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. And uh, you're obviously a Mickey Mantle guy. You know, do you, mm-hmm. do you still have Mickey's uh, baseball card in your wallet, by the way, even to today? Well, usually I keep it in the real world when things are normal and I might be wearing a sport coat or a suit. I usually have it in the inside breast pocket because it's oh. easier than to produce it. When yeah. somebody asks, I'm not saying it happens every day, but I can't go more than a week under normal conditions without somebody saying, hey, Bob, do you really have that card? And I don't want to disappoint them so if i'm i'm wearing jeans or something that's in the back pocket uh i'm not 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 really putting it in my wallet you gotta you know fetch it out maybe i'm being too literal here you ask me do i have it yeah i have it a 1958 mickey mantle card and you love him so uh the the in in this chapter you know obviously duke snyder with the brooklyn dodgers willie with the new york giants and mickey Mm -hmm. with the yankees and they go into just the career and you know mickey did not have the length of career that may sad because of the yeah. injury, maybe because of his alcohol addiction. But when you compare the two, because, you know, I, I watched Mickey at the very end of his career and even Willie, you watch them play. I mean, uh, how do you compare the greatness of these two center fielders, Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle? Willie Mays is the greatest all-round baseball player I've ever seen. And I say that with great respect for Hank Allen, uh, Willie and Hank are the two greatest living players, in my opinion. Uh, I take nothing away from Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds would have been, on his natural merits, one of the greatest players of all time. He'd be an inner circle Hall of Famer and in the discussion among the greatest players of all time. But I do not consider his late career uh, achievements, if you want to call them that, or statistics to be authentic. So it's difficult to put him in that discussion and it's regrettable because on his natural merits, he would have been in that discussion. But let's say of their era, Willie Mays was, in my opinion, the greatest all-round player. In fairness, if you were to take it from 1951, when they both broke in, through 1965, when Willie had a huge year, Mantle was beginning to fade. His last biggest big year was 64. He began to fade in 65. Willie hit 52 home runs in 1965 so let's go 51 through 65 and stop it there for the purpose of this part of the discussion mantle offensively is very comparable to mays and in some senses better slugging percentage about the same home runs per time at bat would favor mantle on base percentage would favor mantle considerably the new metrics are extremely favorable the new baseball analytics are extremely favorable 
to Mickey Mantle, especially if you take uh, the first 15 years of his career or whatever it might have been. But if you take their careers in their totality, obviously Mays was great for a much longer time than Mickey was. Same thing was true of Hank Aaron. So with due respect to Frank Robinson, for example, and Roberto Clemente, I'd slot Mantle third. And you can toss a coin, many would, between Mays and Aaron. I'd give Willie the very slight edge because he was a center fielder. Um, But they were the two greatest players of the year, and I'd put Mantle third. The great Bob Costas joining us, Pop and Lund, here on the Sports Leader. Let's fast forward to today and everything that's going on with baseball. There's going to be uh, uh, another proposal today. It doesn't look like it's going to get things done. What, what is your opinion on what's going on right now? No matter where they wind up, and when Rob Manfred said the other day that he's 100% certain there will be baseball, uh, he's right, obviously, because they, as a last resort, they can just say, okay, you want prorated? Uh, we'll give it to you at 50 games or 48 games. He can just impose that. So, yeah, they're going to play in one way or another. But the damage has already been done, or substantial damage has been done, because the bickering has been public. Baseball fans are aware of the history. It's here we go again. But now it's here we go again, not just like it was in 1994, but worse because of the coronavirus and other issues afflicting the country and they say to themselves look if you still want to lay any claim to the national pastime get together on this it's all a one-off whatever you do now doesn't have to affect the next true collective bargaining agreement no one thinks that any of what we do in 2020 applies in 2021 do the players think the owners intend to play without fans in the stands next season that they intend to play with teams only competing against teams in their own time zone or corresponding division. Everything here is a one-off. Find some common ground, save some face, and get back as much as possible in the public's good graces. Either side could win a bargaining point in the short term and still lose in the big picture. They know that when they come back in 2021, even if they did everything perfectly to begin with, And even if they were lucky enough not to be derailed by some circumstance, perhaps a a surge in the coronavirus, even if they did everything perfectly, they're going to be down economically in 2021 anyway. People will have less discretionary income. Some people are going to be understandably wary about going to concerts or big public events, including ball games. So attendance is going to be down. So they've got to look long range. You could win a battle and lose the war. And they're in this war, if they look at it in an enlightened way, they're in this war together. If the business does well, take all the romance out of it. If the business does well, then both parties do well. If they bicker, no matter who wins the individual points and the business is hurt, then they're both hurt. A 12-year-old child could see that. Why they seem unable to see it is an enduring mystery. In light of everything you were saying, Bob, and John Shea, by the way, is listening to our show, and I'm going to reference Uh him again because he wrote a a fascinating piece in the Sporting Green, and the headline was, Should Baseball Return in These Trying Times? And we had John on the other day, and I said, I'm surprised Mm -hmm. it was you that authored the story because you love baseball. In light of the pandemic, in light of the labor impasse, if if they can't strike a new deal, and the commissioner has to mandate 48 games, I ask you, and you love baseball as much or more than anybody, 
Should yeah. baseball return, Bob, in these trying times? I think they would have had a good case to make if they had said to begin with, baseball is different from other sports. We have to play at least a representative number of games to have a legitimate season and a legitimate postseason. We can't be sure that we can thread all these needles and get from point A to point Z and get all this in without endangering the player's health, without all kinds of other problems, and all things considered. If they had said this to begin with, before they had to sit down and and roll up their sleeves at the negotiating table, all things considered, we're going to call it a day, regroup, hope to have everything in order, and get in a full season in 2021, I think the public would have understood that, and many people would have applauded it. But if they call it a day now, everybody knows it's because of the labor impasse. Everybody knows it's because these two parties somehow, in the present conditions that are affecting all of us in one way or another, to one extent or another, they couldn't see any common interest and couldn't come together, then it's a gigantic public relations disaster. So could they have done it to begin with? Yeah. If they had started in good faith and had negotiated a reasonable deal, and then they were regrettably derailed by the, a surge in the coronavirus, people would understand that too. But if they just say forget about it now, everybody knows the reason why, and it's another public relations black eye. So, Bob, and Bob Costas is joining us. So if it does come down to, as it looks, that Rob Manford is going to mandate possibly 48 to 50 games, what do you think of a season like that? It's not a season. It's a baseball tournament. Uh, many people will view it as better than nothing. Uh, they lose the opportunity to begin on the 4th of July, which would have some symbolism, and to get the jump on the return of other team sports and all the goodwill that would go with that. If that's what happens, and I'm not saying that it will, there's still uh, a possibility of something in the 70s in terms of total games. But if that were to happen, uh, they'll, they'll get underway overlapped by basketball and perhaps hockey. Football will be coming in the rearview mirror. Uh, and if that's what has to happen, if it's an imposition of a very short season like that, uh, there, there won't be any feel-good aura around it. Uh, you know, I don't know that they're going to drive off the cliff, but they're certainly heading for driving into a ditch. Hmm. So right now, uh, the proposal apparently, as reported by Carl Ravitch from ESPN, Bob, is 70 to 75 games. Yeah. Um, if they accept that, we're going to have the expanded playoff field to 16 teams. So 16 to 30 would make it eight in each league. If they reject yeah. it, which we all think they will, they're going to roll back the postseason to 10 and five in each league. So t- give me your thoughts on 16 make the playoffs, eight in each league versus five in each league and 10 in total. Well, I've said this before. I think that baseball fans would accept almost anything within reason under these unique circumstances. Now's the time to experiment. I don't know that they will. It's experiment with a pitch clock with nobody on base, with all the various trial balloons they've floated out there, including expanded playoffs. Uh, but if they wind up with 16 teams or something larger down the road, the way to make that work mathematically and have it make sense, and also the way to recoup substantially 
some of the inevitable losses during this period of time is to expand by two teams, taking it to 32. The owners collect the expansion fees, which would be very substantial. And then you can think of ways where numerically you could break up into divisions that would make sense uh, and you could have a playoff structure like that. But if they do that this year, whether it's uh, what they first suggested, I think, was 14 teams, then maybe 16. Then if they, if they get petulant about it, they cut it back to 10. But if it were 16, for example, this year, people would accept it because they know the whole season is just is weird. So they'd accept it, I think. Bob Costas is joining us. All right, uh, this weekend, uh, long gone summer, uh, Sosa and McGuire. By the way, last mm-hmm. dance, a lot of Bob Costas enjoyed it. Uh, but uh, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts and memories of of that home run chase? And then I, I've always thought baseball obviously had copability in that they rode Sosa and McGuire to to get yeah. baseball maybe back to where it should have been and could have been after the '94 strike and they canceled the World Series. And then when it was time to turn their back, they turned their back with very little copability. But I'd love your thoughts on that. But uh, but uh, how about how about that chase? Well, there's no reason, no no doubt that it helped. Uh, not just that season, it helped for a while thereafter. It helped to bring baseball back. Uh, there was some willing suspension of disbelief on the part of just about everybody. And I think something that played into this, and I saw an advanced uh, copy of of the, uh, the documentary that airs on Sunday. I, I watched it last night. And they do touch upon this aspect. It wasn't incidental that it was Sammy Sosa of the lovable Cubbies in the friendly confines of Wrigley Field and Mark McGuire in St. Louis. And I know some people outside St. Louis blanch when you say this, but if St. Louis is not the best baseball city, it's tied for first because they have a combination of passion, knowledge, and civility drawing in a middle-sized market, three and a half million people every year. And they embrace this thing so wholeheartedly that those of us who might have felt a little bit skeptical didn't want to be Scrooge. You didn't want to look at all these faces from little kids up through old timers who remembered not just Stan Musial, but maybe Dizzy Dean. You didn't want to rain on that parade. You didn't want to rain on the exuberance of Sammy Sosa in right field and going through all of his theatrics, which people embraced. It wasn't incidental that those were the settings at the time and i lived in st louis then i consider myself a st louis and it's it's my adopted hometown at the time as much as i liked mark mcguire personally i never knew sammy sosa that well just acquainted but i know mark very well and i've always liked him personally i i was very skeptical just based on the numbers when when mcguire hit his 62nd home run it was in his 440th at bat. Roger Maris hit 61 in 590 at bats. Ruth hit 60 and something in the low 500s. This was so out of whack that anyone who'd followed baseball knew that there was something in the water supply that wasn't quite right. But what none of us knew for sure was whether it was all stuff, whether it should have been legal or not was legal that you could buy in the gnc i'm not talking about the fact that baseball didn't have any testing and didn't have any rules using steroids was against federal law but we didn't know for sure none of us were chemists we didn't have the knowledge we didn't know for sure 
whatever our unease with it might have been, we didn't have the solid information to point a finger at any one individual. And if you spoke in too much detail in a general sense about it, then the only inference would have been that you're talking about McGuire and Sosa because they were the guys who were front and center. So there was something that would have been irresponsible about that. But did some of us look upon this, yeah, with appreciation for the, for the help it was giving to baseball and for all the enjoyment that people around the nation were getting out of it, especially Chicago and St. Louis? Yeah, I, I was good with all of that. But did I wonder what was going on? Yeah. And I had hinted at it during the 1996 All-Star Game broadcast and again in 2000 on the All-Star Game broadcast. And then I began to speak more directly about it, not so much accusing individual players, but saying, like, there's something rotten in Denmark here. There's something that just does not make any sense at all. But by then, the record book had already been distorted, and then Barry Bonds would distort it further. Yes, he did. And, you know, he, he missed the 99 year, a big chunk of it with an injury. And that's when, you know, he started to get into the, the usage. And I think if you read the book of Game of Shadows, which I know you have, uh, he uh-huh. was also a bit angered by the Mack and Sosa chase and the notoriety they were getting. So the point is with Barry Bonds, Bob, and you've been outspoken about him. Uh, we are not going to have a ceremony in Cooperstown this year. They're going to put Jeter in with the group next year. They're going to have a vote, I assume. So, you know, Bonds is running out of ABs here. He's already had eight, and he gets two more cracks at it. Uh, is there any way he would be voted in uh, this January and then go in with Jeter? How does that impact him? And ultimately, do you think Barry Bonds makes Cooperstown, Bob? You know, I've thought about the very scenario you're mentioning, and I don't want to demonize Barry Bonds. As I said at the beginning of this conversation, I think he is on his natural merits one of the very greatest, an inner circle Hall of Famer on his natural merits. I question the authenticity of his career totals and his best seasons. And they're obviously connected, no matter what he wants to say or not acknowledge, they're obviously connected to high-level steroid use. And lots of guys use steroids. Most of them didn't start out. In fact, none of them started out with his natural ability, with his baseball IQ, but he also got the very best steroids. He got the Balco stuff. And Greg Anderson was a really good trainer. You know, like some people, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant about this. Mm-hmm. Let's say two guys are going bald. They're losing their hair. They take whatever it is, Propecia or whatever. It works better for one guy than another guy. Who knows why? But you're talking about a perfect storm all on the upside. If you're just talking about turning yourself into something close to a human cyborg, that's what Barry Bonds got. Okay. But I have said many times when we do these Hall of Fame shows on the MLB Network, that I put Barry Bonds in a different category than some other obvious or acknowledged steroid users. Many people I respect, like Tom Verducci, don't agree with me. Tom says, look, if you use, that's it. You're not going to get my vote. I say that Bonds is in such an all-time category, not merely a Hall of Fame category, such an all-time category, that I put him in a different category than Rafael Palmero or Manny Ramirez, who quit twice on two different teams and was an indifferent base runner and a horrible outfielder. Or Mark McGuire, who probably on his natural merits could have been a Harmon Killebrew type 
Hall of Famer had he been able to remain healthy, but certainly couldn't have done, no matter what he tells himself now, couldn't have done what he did in his biggest seasons. I put Barry Bonds in a different category. So if I had a vote, as you know, only baseball writers have a vote, I would have voted for Barry Bonds. And I would like to see him get the recognition he deserves, even if people feel ambivalently about it. But if that were to happen, and he'd have to take a big jump, as would Clemens, because they're around 60%. So to jump from 60 to 75 would be a lot. Kurt Schilling was at 70. Next year is his last year of eligibility. Uh, as, as you said, Clemens and Bonds have two years left. If either one or both were to go in at the same time as the nearly universally beloved Derek Jeter, that would be an awkward circumstance in Cooperstown. Very awkward. But I don't think that should affect the voter has integrity. That should not affect how he or she casts the vote. That's wonderful. Bob, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Very insightful. Great job uh, with the book. Uh, It's a tremendous book. We've both read it, and uh, we always appreciate it. Thank you so much for your insights. Thanks a lot, guys. Good to be on with you. Take care. Hey, John Lund here for my good friends at Modesto Toyota. Did you know for over 54 years, people have been driving from all over Northern California to Modesto Toyota? Why? Because of the great deals and a huge selection to choose from. Over 13 acres of new and used vehicles. And it's no secret the Modesto Toyota has a large selection of certified used Toyotas as well. The best new cars make the best certified used cars. Certified pre-owned Toyotas have a seven-year, 100,000-mile limited powertrain warranty and one-year roadside assistance. Modesto Toyota always has a tremendous selection of trucks, cars, and SUVs, all at great low prices. So, whether you're looking for a new or certified pre-owned Toyota, my good friends at Modesto Toyota, Kevin and the whole crew, they have the one to fit your needs and your budget. It's absolutely worth the drive to Modesto Toyota. Go to ModestoToyota.com. Check them out online, ModestoToyota.com.